This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Rita Koenig has become one of today's most popular and influential designers. From her base in London, she has perpetuated a fresh new take on English style, a relaxed and colorful, family-friendly version that is both pretty and practical. And it has proven especially popular with Americans. She has created homes from Mill Valley, California, which was one of my favorites of all the projects I've published while at El Decor, to the West Village, to, of course, London. An influencer on social media with more than 88,000 Instagram followers, she also designs products for the Lacquer Company. I'm so pleased to have Rita with us today to talk about her work, growing up with her famous mother, what she sees ahead, and her new course on Create Academy, where she seeks to demystify and democratize design. Welcome, Rita. Hi, Michael. So glad you could be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a treat. Um, so I'm not going to ask you how you got into the business because I think that's probably obvious with your mother, Nina Campbell, being so famous, having a store. And I know you've talked about the pleasure you got as a kid working in her store. But I'd love to know, was there ever a period for you where you didn't think you were going to be a designer, that you wanted to rebel? And then when you decided to go into design, did you ever try and think outside the box? Did you ever want to create like an Alexander McQueen punk room or do an all white Bauhaus minimalist room? How, how has that, how did that happen for you? Well, it's, I actually never intended to get into interior design. It didn't really occur to me for a really long time. And I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to do all sorts of, so growing up, those were the things I wanted to do. And I think it was just inescapable in the end. And I suppose I wasn't really trained to do anything else. And, <laughs> and so I, that's what I ended Doomed up doing. by your mother. And, and so I was, you know, and actually now I look back, I think even the training by my mum, you know, I worked in her shop. I never worked in her, her interior design department. And I realized, funny enough, when I was interviewing somebody this week for a job doing the online shop, that so much of how I come to decorating a room is through shopping and the things much more than the upholstery. I mean, obviously the upholstery is really important, but for me, it is very much the the sort of canvas on which it all hangs in the background. And I think decorating is so much to do with the shopping aspect, which was more my training. Right. And and in a sense, you are a virtual shopkeeper now because you yeah. do sell a lot of items on your, not just items of your own design, but a lot of items on your website. Um, and I love your mantra about, you know, uh, uh, tables, lamps, and chairs, that these um, are the three things you should always be looking for. And clearly, yeah. like me, you're a bit of a chair addict. It's quite funny how people are saying this on Instagram and they talk about the workshops and they they say tables, lamps, and chairs. It is. I do feel like houses absorb tables, lamps, and chairs, and that's what you really need. And clients of mine used to laugh if you, that I would always say, "This is where you sit and chat. We need a place to sit and chat." You know, that's sort of what is the point in a house, isn't it? Is to yes, I think so. <laughs> and uh, but what's interesting to me too is is that 
you have so many clients in the United States, and I'd love to know how, how and why you think that has happened, because you clearly have hit a nerve in the sense of people who love traditional design, but maybe we're almost intimidated by how much mid-century modern and minimalism there is in the United States. But you have, re- you have managed to get people to think in a different way. And, and I'd just love to know how you came about having so many clients in the U.S. Well, I think, Michael, I, ha- I have to say that I think you are instrumental in that. That, that the Mill Valley story in El Decor was huge. And, and now, how long ago was that? Five years ago, six years ago? Six years ago, I think, yeah. Still not, it's still filtering now because our most, one of our most recent clients came because she said, when I was doing my Pinterest boards, I realized so many of them were yours. And of course, they were so many of them were that Mill Valley house that, you know, still coming up on people's boards. So that was huge. For for now, we have a lot. Currently, at the moment, we have a lot in America. And I think the other thing that was so good for, for me was coming to America and living in New York, which I did originally because I'd written my book, Domestic Bliss, and it was being sold in America. And I felt I needed to if I wanted the sales in America, I needed to come to America and be there and work there and understand the sort of place. And I'm so glad I did that because I think that when I'm working with Americans, it makes a huge difference that I have lived there and I have I understand some of the cultural references and I understand when we're talking about certain things, there's we do speak different languages. Absolutely. And so I, I picked up a bit of the language <laughs> when I was living in New York. You know, the famous about line the about only... two countries, the two, you know, divided by a common language. Totally. It's so true. Yeah. The references are different. It really is. And so I really enjoy that. I loved living in the States and working there. And when I lived in New York, I used to say, I wish I could live in London and work here. I mean, like my fantasy was that nine to five, I'd be in New York and right. and then I'd go home to London, you know, that that would somehow be, be a miracle. So it's it's lovely for me that I do now work so much there. And I think your work in a way in America, in the United States does distill that sense because what impressed me and, you know, the Mill Valley House, which I'm sh- did you have any idea when you were designing that place that it was going to become such a touchstone in your career? No, no, of course not. And it's just lovely that it that it has. And it was such a terrific project with Gil. Also, you know, Gil Schaefer, who was the who's the was the architect on it, Gil and I didn't meet the entire way through the project until well after it had finished and he was in London. So we went and had dinner together with William Yeowood and some mutual friends. So we the four of us had dinner together. And since then, we're now currently working on three more projects together at the moment, which is just lovely. And I don't know that Gil thought it would be either. You know, it's been it's been terrific for all of us. We published lots of Gil's projects, but that one does stand out. And I, I'd love to get a sense of why do you think it is? It's, do you think it was the color, the sort of relaxed atmosphere that Americans relate to? Because obviously the architecture and the spaces in the United States are so different from London or even the English countryside. I mean, in America, it's always either you have a, like a smaller urban apartment or you have sprawling houses, whereas it's, it's very different in London. Often. It's, I think that it is so different. And I think the English, we have a sort of excitement about houses in America and the American look and the shingle house and all of those, all of that. And I think one of the things that worked 
for that, a, we also had a client who was very involved. And it was the three of us, I think, that came to make something work so well. I mean, the client is so important in a process. So important. I always say, you know, I would say to designers, you know, when you get a really great client, that's when I want to see the project. Because I think the client, and client involvement really makes a huge difference. Huge, because the, it was... And it was so fun with Mark because he would he kept bringing all this like furniture, very black metal furniture. And I was like, Mark, this is like the crucible. We don't have any more of this <laughs> pilgrims furniture. It's just terrible. But some of it, we have some of it in the house. And actually, when I look at the pictures now, I think, God, it's so funny. Those things really contribute to the room and they really it's everybody's part that makes it. Otherwise, it just becomes a showroom and it's what stops it from becoming a portfolio for a designer, which I think is so important. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about, obviously, so is your your course now that you have on Create Academy, your online course about design. You know, I've been watching it. Um, I haven't finished the course yet. I'm not, I don't have my degree, but I'm about halfway through. And one of the things that impresses me about it is how reassuring you are and how open you are. Like you were just saying the client and you, you have a little chapter about how everyone has taste. And, you know, it's, it's really true that people say, Oh, I have no taste, but of course you're right that they do. And I think that's probably one of the keys to your success is that you listen to everybody. Well, it depends who you talk to. <laughs> well, yes, you listen, but then you don't always agree, but you listen. That's what I used to say always, you know, you listen to everything and yeah. then you decide, yeah. you know, and you know, what, what amazes me about your class, it's really, I think it's about $175. It's from pounds to dollar conversion, which is very inexpensive for the amount of information you get in there. And I was worried at first that people would say that this is a way for people who are not designers to avoid having a designer. And, but then when I started watching it, I thought, oh my God, if I were a designer, I would make my client take this class. Yeah, actually, it's not a bad idea. And sometimes when I'm talking, I do wish that, I I sometimes am hoping (laughs) that a client will listen or be reading that piece or, because I think, I think that's true. And I also that just on the fear that designers have of giving too much away to their client or to people who therefore wouldn't need you. I mean, wouldn't you rather have someone do it for you? I would say I would so much rather have a designer than do it myself. So I figured when we first started doing courses, which I used to do at home, that and when I came back to London from New York, especially because in New York every, or in America, Americans are much more used to working with designers. The English don't like it so much. They feel they should be doing it themselves. I think there's a great trade in taste here. I think people want to feel that they did their houses themselves and feel that they have the taste to do it. There's there's a currency in the in the taste. Anyway, so I just thought there's a load of people who are, they're not the same people. Your client and the person coming to workshop are different, but it's like going into an artist's shop, you know, like to buy paintbrushes and paints. Three of us can go into that shop and buy paints and paintbrushes and beautiful paper and whatever you like. Our pictures are not going to be the same and some are going to be beautiful and some of mine is going to be terrible. doesn't matter how fabulous the paint is. So... I think one shouldn't worry too much about giving 
sharing information. Right. And and you're incredibly generous in in the classes that you do that. And um, one of the things I, I want to love too is it is a little bit like a psychology thing about, as you say, finding out what your taste is, accepting your taste, accepting who you are and the reality of how you live. And you actually talk about, you know, don't, don't get too caught up in magazine images. I mean, you talk about the importance of how you use Pinterest and all that, but really acknowledging the truth of how you live. And I'd love if you talk a little bit about that, because I think that's such an important lesson that people in this Instagram age with all these gorgeous images coming at us on our phones or in the magazines, I think it gets lost. Well, I think um, that what's important about that stage in the in the process is that it really helps you. If you think of the whole thing as sort of painting by numbers rather than going into a room and saying, what's it going to, what color am I going to paint the walls and what fabrics am I going to use? It, that's a very difficult place to get to immediately. And when people say it to me when I go to their houses, I'm sort of terrified. I have no idea in the immediate instance of how this room should be. And I think what's really useful about sitting down and having that conversation with yourself about what the house needs to deliver for you and your family or you and your husband or you yourself or whoever whatever that is immediately starts to inform you of how you need to decorate it before you get to the fabrics and colors and all of those things so you start to walk along the path quite happily working those things out you know the other problem is of course a photographer usually steps back from a room and is looking at it from a distance. And also that's a, a f- photograph on your phone or in a magazine is flat. Rooms are not flat. You walk through them, you use them, you sit in them, as you were saying, you talk, you have a party, you, you know. So I think all of that is so important. And what you talk about, you know, again, joking about the tables, lamps and chairs, you know, place to sit, a lamp so you can read by, place to put down your cup of tea if you're in London or your glass of wine in New York. Um, uh, it's all of that is so important is how you use it. Because I think what you just said about how you experience a house is so true. It's, it's not from just looking, it's feeling it and being in it. And that's what you yeah, remember. And that's so much more than whether you like the material on right, the sofa or right, not. Right, exactly. You can get a sense of welcoming you in, but if you get welcomed in and you're not comfortable, it doesn't, the room does not work. And that I think is such, this is another thing I think is so helpful for your your course or your book for clients to read, because I think clients tend to be dazzled by the imagery. And also panicked when they think it's going wrong. You know, the amount of, not necessarily clients of mine, but I people, friends, people that talk to me who get worried when the colour starts to go up and, oh my God, but it doesn't look like it did on the sample and I can't believe it's so strong, it's so this, it's so that, I'm going to have to re, I'm going to repaint or I'm going to, and no, no, don't repaint, Just crack on, <laughs> keep going, put in the furniture, put on, the, put the pictures up, put the lamps in. This colour, by the time all the rest of it has come in, is going to be so far into the background. I mean, obviously it's not that far in the background, but what you forget when you're standing on a building site and it's the only thing that's happened, it's also the first thing that goes up that you can see of your design and everyone's in a panic in anticipation. And you forget that life also comes into the house. So there are dogs and people and children and guests and blah, 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 coming through and going out. You know, it's very easy to get caught up in the importance of these things that ultimately are part of 
such a much bigger picture that one should just right. worry too much. Right, exactly. And I think that that is a great lesson. You you talk about you know, people not letting you finish because you're panicked about the color, panicked about the how's the chair going to fit in, all of that stuff. I used to tell a friend of mine, ambivalence is a killer. You know, you've got to run with it because you can always change it later if you don't like it. But you, yes, you, yes, but totally. you don't know if you like it if you're just freaking out in the moment. The other thing I think about shopping, which I was thinking the other day, having we've just you know done this house in the north of England that belong our own house and um, was published, and it's been very well received and very covered a lot and a lot of it's we filmed the create academy course at north farm and people say we love it blah, blah, blah. and i think about when i'm buying for clients furniture and they say oh well i don't love it i'm sure we could find something better or do you really think so or let's wait and they keep missing things because they're waiting for something different i think my god at north farm and in these English country houses, I was asked the other day about the English country house look. And I was like, the English country house look is an accumulation of furniture. It's a house where furniture has been for many generations and everybody adds a bit. So not everything in the house is your most favorite thing because you didn't choose most of it. And actually at North Farm, there are probably five key pieces that I really love. And the rest of it has either come to me because it was in my mum's storage or other stuff that was lent to me or I bought it because it fitted it was the right price and I needed a table there and actually the stuff that was given to me I love and I love it because it came from people I love or their stories much more but I just think sometimes we just a room full of your favorite people is very noisy right and I've always thought that one of the probably the biggest difference between you know English decorating you know, traditional decorating American is basically what the English inherit. In America, we don't inherit very much, you know, we're, we're a younger country, whatever. And there's always this ethos of getting Also, new, get, I get think new. everyone chucks out quite a lot of what they We inherit. do, we chuck it, we get new, chuck out the old. And so how do you bridge that gap when you're dealing with your American clients? I know. Well, also, we don't, I don't have this, and then of course, you're board. faced with somebody's hideous grandmother's sideboard. You're like, oh my god, let's get let's get rid of this. <laughs> but I suppose the thing to do is you have to start shopping, and you just have to start shopping early enough and accumulate enough. And we did that with Mark in Mill Valley. We just, he wanted that collected look and that was very exciting. And especially with the pictures, you know, he said to me, I want to do these gallery walls. And I was like, but Mark, you don't have any pictures. We better, we're gonna, we better start, you know? So we started quite quickly. And so we did manage to create that collected look. And of course, in there, why the collected look worked so well was because Mark started chucking a few things in that wouldn't necessarily have been the things I would have bought. And that was what I realized at the end that actually even his black metal little trolley and lamp that I was so sort of snooty about, you know, were part of what made the room great because that was part of the collected feel. And they totally do. The little drinks tray in that big blue room is terrific. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I am the co-founder and president of Cherish. Professional designers are invited to join the Cherish trade program to access special benefits like net pricing, 
and a special trade-only customer service hotline. New this year, we're also introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We do hope you'll join us. And in order to do so, please visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's spelled C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. And now back to the show. So now, obviously in England too, but in America, COVID has changed I think the way a lot of people spend time in their homes, a much more, but also I think it's changing how we think about our homes and what we're satisfied and not so satisfied within our homes. So what, how do you see that changing what, what clients look for from designers or what they were going to look for from you? What do you see ahead? What's quite nice is I think they think we're less silly because <laughs> they realize that it's actually quite important. So it makes you feel better. And that your surroundings have an immediate effect on how you, how are you interacting with the world and the day. So I, I think it's good for us. I think that it's it's fantastic that there is this importance now in the home. Whereas I think, especially you know, in New York, life is was so external. You know. You could know people for years and never go to their house. Absolutely. And that's still. You always meet in restaurants. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that will be modified a bit, but, it, you know, I always say the, the highest compliment you could pay someone is to invite them to your home. You know, it's a very personal and intimate thing, even though we all are love, love our homes to share them, I think is such a gracious thing. And hopefully the, one of the good things that will come out of this is when people are more relaxed or whatever, they will appreciate that more. In the U.S., I mean, one of the big things that everybody talks about is home offices or bigger pantries. Has, have you noticed that in England as well? No, not so much in what we're doing, but I think that is obviously going to be huge. And when, you know, girls in my office were sitting in their houses on their sort of coffee table with a desktop, you just think, oh my God, people, I mean, it's so awful that people are going to need to organize that. And when I lived in New York, I worked from home until eventually I was like, hang on, I'm not working from home. I'm living in my office. This is, you know, there comes a tipping point. So I think we, if people are going to work from home, they are going to need a room in their house, which is where they work. And in New York, that's hard because people's apartments are already tiny. Right, right. Which is why my office in New York was in a closet. It was right. a deep closet. But you were clever <laughs> to turn a closet into an office. Yeah, you because know, I needed what... to close the door at night. You right, know? right. Um, and, and what do you see ahead for you yourself? I mean, I know like you do, like one of the things you're doing a special curated collection for Cherish, which I know is you're going to be on um, October 22nd with custom lampshades and things that you're doing. Are you... Planning to go more into product? Are you thinking about like doing a fabric line or? I think that I'd really like to do more product. And funny enough, you know, the, the this little project with Cherish has certainly focused my mind. And I've been interviewing somebody this week to take on the online shop and make it something more. And I think that that seems to be the natural next step. And I think for me, probably product is more of a natural step than fabric because. I hold so much value in the stuff. And honestly, I think there's enough fabric lines in the world without me coming to mm -hmm. add. To I've, <laughs> I've often felt that way when I go to a showroom. <laughs> so, I don't know. And also, 
what I can add. You talk a lot about vintage textiles, you yeah. know, and the importance of those and rediscovering so, them. I so, love that. And I'd love the store to have a bit of an, that vintage thing and, and add some antiques and maybe the vintage textiles. Or that's, that's where I think the sort of umami is in decorating, mm-hmm. if you like. I'm a sort of china mm-hmm. and glass. Yes. Not really. And probably bed linen, because I love the bed. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff to produce. You know, I'd also love to do a really great sofa. I'd love to do a really great chair. Then, of course, maybe we do a little lamp and table. I mean, tables, lamps and chairs would be a great thing to get into, really, I guess. That should be. I know, because um, I one of the things watching the Create Academy courses, when you go to those auction houses and the antique and i'm thinking well there's some of that in the u.s but oh my god the riches that you have there at your fingertips it's amazing and i i found that when i lived in new york was that was hard to find yes it is hard to find and a lot of the stuff has come from here so by the time it's there it's very expensive so that's also something we do when we're decorating is we send it all from here right and do you take clients on shopping tours in London or Paris? I do. If they want to come, I do. And we've just done done one with a, a couple we're working with in the States. We're in England and we went and did a little trip to Tetbury and went and did a, a whole bunch of shopping. And we'll mix that with me sending things because we will, will take us forever otherwise. And with Mark, I did it a lot. We used to go shopping in San Francisco or we would go in London. If he or his wife were ever in London, we would you know, we would do a bit of shopping. It's fun to do it with the client. Sometimes you have a client who just doesn't want to. So then we do it all. But I'm, I like doing it. And I think it's important to, you know, not hold too tight to the reins with the client. I think people have to feel that it's their house and they can be involved as much as they want to be. And there seems to be always enough you know, space for everybody to be involved. Well, I love that you talk so openly and about shopping as being important because I think that a lot of designers, maybe not so much in in England, but in the USA, it's almost like they are embarrassed to talk about shopping. Like they, they have to, what they're doing is much more intellectual and space design and working out, a, you know, the lighting program and smart homes and doing the flooring and what the surfaces are and all that. But, you know, you revel in shopping. And I think that that's... Well, that, I just, I just, I'm just a frustrated shopper. And I think a lot, of, a lot of us are. And I think we're the ones that call ourselves decorators. <laughs> As opposed to interior designers. <laughs> but I think that, you know, to be a great shopper is a really a talent, you know, and to see, put things together. Because obviously, this is another reason that I'm encouraging people to take your class and, you know, to read the magazines go on Pinterest. I can listen to your class, but I will learn a lot. And I have learned a lot already. And I thought I knew a fair amount and I do know a fair amount, but there are things you learn always. This is part of the great pleasures of life is learning, but I still not convinced that I will after completing your course or whatever, be able to. Because what you have to do is you have to exercise the muscle. So, what hopefully the course will do is is give you the sort of instruction and then you'll go and do it. And the more you do it, the easier it will become. And you'll right. start. Because I'm not going to be able to go out and do the perfect floor plan or even the perfect 
you know, tablescape on my coffee table. No. Because I think that Not designers the first time, like you quickly, hopefully. I think that I think the floor plan is quite easy. Or no, but that's everything we do, isn't it? That the more you do it, the more you you're like, oh, didn't work like that. Let's try it this way. You know, you keep evolving. And it's like the gallery wall when people you come to the um workshops at home and they're like, we, how do we do that? And I was like, well, I didn't start with this. You know, I started on Bank Street with four pictures, stacked them, and then I put my photos all over the wall. And then I moved to the next apartment and brought a whole load of pictures from London and did a bit of a gallery wall over the fireplace. And then when I came back to London, I just chucked it all at the wall. And here we are. But we didn't, you know, one never starts at the, you know, halfway through the journey. But I'm hoping that by maybe alighting people's interests or getting them also it's like history lessons when you're just trying to remember all those wretched dates of the battles and the this and the that and it's impossible and then suddenly you understand why one thing led to another and it all becomes much easier to remember because it makes sense and I think that that's what I'm trying I'm hoping to do is that people will become more comfortable and and understand it and then it's less frightening because I think it's People are afraid of making these errors in their homes. Very intimidating. And one of the things I think that's so great about your approach and and it comes across in your class is that, you know, it's about the process, not the product. You don't necessarily look, oh, I've got to get it to be this product. I've got to, it's a, you know, it's a step-by-step, enjoying buying, shopping, things that you love, finding out what you don't then like. moving them around. Right, moving them around, trying them this way, that way. The kids don't like it this way. Let's try that. You know, I think that that's incredibly reassuring. And it's a very optimistic take on design as well, because people, you know, it's part of your life and you get pleasure out of it. And I think that that's really a valuable lesson that is too often forgotten. Like Dorothy Draper with her decorating is fun. I think it it can be fun and should be and, and not to prop out your house. You know, that's the other thing is, you know, not to think, oh, well, the thing is vintage posters. So, we, you know, the, the thing has got to be, what's your thing? You know, what's the thing that grabs you? Right. Not what's trendy or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Because like you talk in, in the class, and I know this is true from your rooms, how you love, you know, brown furniture, Georgian furniture, antique pieces, which basically have been out of fashion for a while. And they're great bargains now, you know. They're totally a great bargain. And also, which, I, you know, for a little bit for me is how I ever came to come buy any of it, because it's what I, you know, sometimes you have something just because, you need it and you know that brown furniture is just what's available but I do think that it is very anchoring in a room it's very quiet in a room as well which is so nice and the other thing about it is so beautifully made for the most part you know to go even to one of the big box stores and buy a chest of drawers is hundreds of dollars well you can buy a George III chest of drawers for £350. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing. And, and 30, 40 years ago, that would have been £2,000. Yes. You know, because that's when it was in fashion. I mean, so again, it's like, but I think- also it, some of it's better than others, you know. Of some course, of course. Some is museum worthy and some is just yeah. country house or, you know, stuff. Yeah. But it's still 
has nice lines and it's like you said very well made you and know? if you're dorothy draper you might have painted it white right exactly the and, ugly stuff right and, 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 you know, that, that's still a great thing. I mean, yeah. you know, I joke like 20 years ago, the big thing was to have everything painted by a car painter, you know, so you get yeah. that hard lacquer yeah. effect and, you know, in and out, but basically you still need the great lines of a nice piece of furniture, you know? So, so I, I, you know, this has been so fascinating, Rita. I, I wanted to ask you like a two-part question. First of all, what do you think was the best piece of advice your mother ever gave you? Because God knows she's a huge talent, Nina, and and very outspoken, you know, very blunt and direct, which we love. It has great humor. And then I'd love to know what you what would be your best piece of advice to a, a designer, you know, early in their career today to starting out in their career. Okay, so I think that I mean the thing that my mom really taught me was how to use a scale rule and do a. Um, plan and the first it was like I got this job and she sat and she goes okay so you need to first of all do your furniture layout because then you can do your electrical plan and you can't do the electrical plan until you've done your furniture layout so that was really good advice and then I think that the other things are you know buy a really good sofa I think sofas and beds are worth spending money on and the thing with the sofa is a cheap sofa is still expensive and it's hard to get rid of which you're going to want to because you don't want to sit on it and shopping is something she really encouraged me to do from a child so that um and going to really the best shops and I think also not not going to a shop because you think you can't afford it it's really important to go to those shops, even if it's just to get your eye in. And I find also somehow, <laughs> if you keep going, somehow via osmosis, at some point you can afford mm-hmm. to shop in those shops, but not to be intimidated by them. And I think it's it's fun. That's right. it's like well, quite fun. I think, you know, shopkeepers and dealers are are frustrated educators. In a way, like you are, been a, you are a frustrated educator too in your class you know, makes that so clear because you are a great teacher. And I think that, you know, going to shops and dealers and asking a few questions or just looking at one piece, comparing it to another, it trains your eyes, like going to a museum and looking at art trains your eye. And I think that that's a a crucial thing too. And I'm so glad you pointed that out. They also love to talk about their things, you know, and that's a lot how I learned with dealers were so generous to me when I was, you know, in my late teens and I would go to Alfie's Antique Market in London and particularly George and Helen Gardner. I used to sit in their shop and we'd smoke so many cigarettes and drink cups of coffee and in the days when you could do that sort of thing. And she was terrific fun and everybody came in that tiny shop, all the buyers from Ralph Lauren and all the buyers from, she sold these plaid, a lot of plaids and the set designers from Rob Roy and God knows who came. She then also started taking me to the markets and said, well, you need to come to Ardingly and Newark. And so I sort of started buying that way, but they do, um, I love shopkeepers and antique dealers. And when I moved to New York, I must say I loved being in shops because there's a natural interaction in a shop that when you're in a foreign place, it's rather nice. It's a rather nice way to find your way. Mm-hmm. 
So now, Rita, do you see your style evolving? Do you think that it's going to change? Is your color palette changing? Are you? Yeah, it changes all the time, I think. And it also, everything, it evolves as you discover new things and you like new palettes and you want to do new things. And also the other thing, of course, is as one I have found as I've gone along in my career, the client you know the client's budgets change and either the client stuck with you and their budgets have you know you've grown together but it means you can do things like put fabric on the walls which when I started of course I wasn't putting fabric on the walls and so that's that's quite fun so there's that evolution and then the palettes I find that they do change I really like that it's and that's what's fun about being a decorator is you've got a new victim <laughs> to try it on. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you can evolve your, yourself. Right. Exactly. And one of the things that is speaking of budget, you have a funny thing on the, um, in the course, uh, the Create Academy, of course, where you talk about the budget money versus purse money. I'd love it if you just explain that, because I think that's very helpful to designers. I think it, I think it is. I think it's helpful to, to, to regular person also your budget money is the capital so that is the money you buy your house with and you have money within that budget to decorate with so let's say you've got a hundred thousand dollars to to decorate with you want to apply that money quite carefully so it should go on definitely the sofa and the bed and the curtains and all of those big things but don't spread it so thin that you can't have that fabulous lampshade that you really want. Or you've got to skimp on those things because the lampshade is basically a pair of shoes. So that right, exactly. is purse money. <laughs> so that comes <laughs> after lunch. Instead of going to Louboutin, you go to Robert Kime or to me or to somebody else or Cherish and buy a beautiful lampshade. The pretty table that's a bit, you know, it's, I would say things under a thousand dollars or whatever your purse is, that's purse money and it can come at any time. So for the time being, you just have some ordinary card shade and later when you've got the money in your purse, you spend it there. But it's 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 shopping in the same way that you would buy clothes. Right. Which I think is a, a very liberating way, because if you can allow yourself to buy a new pair of shoes or a, a handbag, then why can't you allow yourself and indulge, maybe you forego the handbag and get the lampshade, whatever, but put it in the same category. And because it both, they're all going to enrich your life. It's just enrich your life in different totally. ways. And the lampshade you see the whole time and it will last a lot longer than either the handbag or shoes. <laughs> Spoken and- like a true shopkeeper <laughs> of home. <laughs> Surrounded by shoes currently in my sitting in my wardrobe. <sighs> and also antiques, you know, buying that beautiful dish or buying that fabulous lamp that's, you know, that's all purse money. And the other thing about purse money is it goes beyond the deadline of the house. So the house is not going to be finished the day that the curtains and the wallpaper and the up sofas and chairs arrive. So then you've got this these years of fun, which is the collecting. And that's why when you go to a decorator's house or the pe- those people that have fabulous tastes and beautiful houses, it's because they're doing it all the time. Right. Right. Because the house is never really finished. 
No, and that's usually because they have a sickness. Right. That I right. Right. But but also, you know, your circumstances <laughs> change. Your kids grow up, move out. You know, there's all sorts of reasons to keep evolving your house. And it's, yeah, it's, and then your kids move out, and you fling them the stuff that you don't like anymore, and you carry on and <laughs> get new stuff <laughs> yeah. with your expanded budget. So great. <laughs> exactly. Well, Rita, I can't thank you enough for this, and I encourage all of the listeners to tune in and go online for Rita Koenig's. Cherish Sale, which is on October 22nd. You can tell from this conversation what a great shopper she is. So she's picked some of her favorite things. Yes, bring your purse money um, and on the 22nd. And really, uh, you know, Rita, you continue to be an inspiration to so many of us here in the United States. You and your mom are an incredible duo. I just love how you've sort of taken her tradition and made it relevant for a whole new generation and really inspired so many people. And I thank you so much for being here on the Cherish podcast. Oh, well, Michael, thank you so much. And also America, of course, has been such a huge inspiration to me. I just, it's a country I adore and I love the way you guys, shop. I mean, you're a nation of shoppers. We might be shopkeepers, but you are a nation of shoppers. <laughs> we are. We are. It's a mutually beneficial system. <laughs> Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Rita. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.